right, so this morning we are talking about goodness. So if you were to describe someone as a good person, what do you mean by that? What would be some of the characteristics or attributes that you would give to that person? Always helping others, okay. What else? What do you mean by that? Because you use the word and the definition. <laughs> you said just a good person to be around. So they're positive people. <laughs> my, I hear like my third grade teacher going, you cannot use the, def the word in the definition. <laughs> my mom was also a reading teacher. So that also plays into that voice in my head. <laughs> what else? So we've got being helpful and being positive. Giving, okay. Anything else? Non judgmental, okay. Trustworthy, uh huh. Happy go lucky. That's an interesting one. I would not have thought that. I didn't think that as I was thinking of this. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's with people. What about the church as, as the body of Christ? How do we demonstrate our goodness? Doing things for other people. Mm -hmm. What does caring look like? Sharing, okay. Uh, giving, maybe giving of your time, um, being willing to be inconvenienced or what we perceive to be inconvenienced. Accepting, okay. Yeah, so if you were to say, if someone asked you, you know, why are you doing good things? Where does this goodness come from? How would you answer that? Comes from the heart, yeah. Whose heart? This is maybe a bit on the nose, but Jesus' heart, right? Like when we say that we're Christians, we take in Jesus' heart. We, our heart transforms to be like Jesus, right? Theoretically anyway. So when Paul is talking about goodness, he talks about it in, the word that he uses is, these are killing me, <laughs> these Greek words, agathosune, agathosune, all right, whatever, however I butchered that, it means virtue or beneficence, also benefit. So there's, um, there's an inherent communal nature to it. Like, because in order to be virtuous or 
beneficent or give benefit to someone. There, there has to be more than one person involved. And so this carries on this, this facet of the fruit of the spirit, like all the other ones that we've talked about, um, where there is a relational component to it. And some of the characteristics of goodness that Jesus might not have been explicit about in the Matthew passage that I read, um, but he did name one of them uh, for a characteristic of goodness. So we've got compassion, mercy, and justice. Um, those are the things that, that the, when the Bible talks about goodness, those are the things that uh, either the epistle writers or the Old Testament writers, they're talking, that's what they're talking about. And part of it is that, you know, God is good, right? Have you heard the call and response where the leader says God is good and then the congregation says all the time and then the preacher says all the time and then you respond God is good? Have you ever, no? Okay, well, depending on how, you know, where you grew up, like that was one of the things that uh, one of my pastors would say on a regular basis and we would do the, the call and response. Uh, and so if there's three things about God that I think we can probably all agree on um, is that God is all knowing, uh, all powerful and good. Those are some of the tenets of who our God is. And when Genesis says that we are created in God's image, Genesis isn't talking about the all-powerful or the all-knowing. We can't be those things, but we can be good. And so goodness is one of these themes throughout pretty much all of, of scripture in terms of who we are supposed to be and how we are supposed to act. So it's a twofold thing. Yes, goodness absolutely comes from our heart and then it's demonstrated out through the way that we interact with, with different people. So this passage that I picked from Matthew is laden and there's so many different things interwoven in it. Um, first of all, yes or no question, did Jesus and the Pharisees get along? No. <laughs> no, they did not. And this passage is a really great example of several of the reasons why they, why they didn't get along with Jesus. Um, one of those things is that, so let me pull this back up again and read it. Let's see. So when, when Jesus and his disciples are walking through the field, the Pharisees point out that the disciples are doing something unlawful on the Sabbath, which is picking grain, kind of rubbing it in their hands to get the outer part off, and then they're eating it. They were hungry. Um, and this phrase, what is unlawful, could be actually two different things. It could be, A, what is distinctly written in the Hebrew scriptures in terms of what is unlawful, or it could be the, interp the rabbinical interpretation of that law. So the Pharisees really, really like to talk about what was lawful and unlawful and the interpretation of the Hebrew scripture. And at this time, 
there um, the community in uh, that wrote the Qumran, um, they were really focused on the sacrifices. What was it that they could sacrifice the Sabbath as holy as they possibly could? And all of this kind of, so it was in the culture, it was in the conversation. The rabbis were talking about it. The people were talking about it. These sects of, uh, of more uh, austere, we'll call them, uh, Jews were talking about it too. So this was like a big debate. So um, it was very much about uh, what's lawful, what's unlawful, and who's in charge of what's unlawful and lawful. And because the Pharisees are who they are, um, and obviously not all Pharisees were this way, but the ones that are portrayed in the Gospel of Matthew are very much this way. Um, the Pharisees were mad at Jesus for several things. First, they weren't being treated as experts. In, here, in this passage, Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Hmm. Heresy, essentially, to the Jews. They're like, no, that's not okay. Um, and they considered themselves to be the authority and the power of the Jewish people. They were like basically the moral police if they were to have something like that. And their authority and power is, was being taken away from them by Jesus. Pretty much nobody ever likes it when their authority or power is taken away. Uh, and then their moral high ground was taken away. So with Jesus sparring with verbally sparring with the Pharisees about what's unlawful, um, their interpretation of the Old Testament was being questioned and in, a, in essence overturned. Because the thing that I love about Jesus is that whenever he gets in an argument, um, a verbal discussion with someone, whether it's, whether it's Satan, the Pharisees, his disciples, it doesn't matter. He goes to scripture and he uses uh, his Hebrew scriptures to give examples of when um, and weren't punished for it, God. And Jesus does this because he wants to get across what is actually so in the whole discussion about Sabbath, doing work, what's lawful, what's unlawful, there's an undercurrent of, of the purpose of the Sabbath. And in some ways, they're talking past one another. Pharisees think the purpose of Sabbath God. Like somehow God needs us to sacrifice on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, no, it's too good. The purpose of the Sabbath is to rest and to do good. And so Jesus isn't afraid to do what the Pharisees are talking about because they're being incredibly realistic. And they were missing the plot, actually. It's like they read the rule book and when we're supposed to do without thinking about the online motivation. 
because this issue, they were focused on the external actions as opposed to the motivation and intent behind the actions. Um, Jesus was a man who, and God, who is very, I think anyway, very focused on motivation. Um, sometimes we can do the wrong thing for the right motivation, right? Like how many times have, I don't know about you, I have a tendency of sticking my foot in my mouth on a regular basis and, you know, trying to be kind and it just, people either don't get my sense of humor or, you know, whatever it is. Right. Like I'm, I'm trying to be kind or good or loving and people look at me like I'm insane and it's fine. I get that. But like it's the motivation behind it. Right. Like you could drop something off for a friend or, you know, someone who's been in the hospital and make them a casserole. But, oh, they can't eat dairy. And you made macaroni and cheese. Like, you know, like <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's the motivation behind it. Um, and, and so in a lot of the discussions, if you, if you read any of the gospels, you'll see this pushback between Jesus and the Pharisees or Jesus and the Sadducees, uh, because Jesus was about the motivation and the intention behind the action for people. It wasn't about, oh, well, you're a good person because you're following these rules. That in a lot of different ways, Jesus was not about following the rules um, in any shape or form. Actually, he let his, you know, in this passage, he let his people pick grain because they were hungry. He goes on to feed, he goes on to heal a man who, who had, who must have had, you know, some kind of issue with his hand for a long time. Uh, one of the interesting, but things that I read as I was preparing for this was that apparently, um, so like when Jesus asks, oh, well, if you had a sheep fell, fall in a hole, wouldn't you go and retrieve that sheep? That wasn't a rhetorical question. People were actually debating that at the time. Like lawfully, could someone save their animal? Um, and so uh, it's weird, right? Like, we're like, well, of course you're going to save your animal. But no, they were like, mm -hmm. no, we, we can't do anything. So like, it's, it's this, how, how literal, you know, are people going to be? And what's the reason for it? Those are the two things that are, that need to, that Jesus very clearly go, says go together. How are you acting? And what's the intention or motivation for it? And so, you know, Jesus heals this man. And in this commentary that I read, it said that the Pharisees would have argued that the healing could have waited till the next day because it wasn't life-threatening. Um, so, so literally, God forbid someone is healed on the Sabbath. It just seems very counterintuitive to me. If the whole point about Sabbath is rest and restoration, I would think healing would be one of those things that would be encouraged uh, and celebrated, um, but apparently not, right? So Jesus, as he's interacting with these Pharisees and his disciples are you know, kind of tagging along and, and watching all of this, he's, he's demonstrating goodness. 
he's demonstrating that there are ways of being that maybe people haven't quite understood. Um, that maybe there's opportunity for, for seeing how God is at work in ways that we might not understand or our oral tradition or our religious tradition says is actually unlawful. It's no wonder they were so upset, really. Like, you know, if someone comes to you and says, the way that you've been worshiping for the last 37 years is wrong or has missed the point, you might take issue with that, right? Like, <laughs> so, you know, we have Jesus showing up as the son of man, son of God, Messiah. And he's like, and I'm here to tell you about all of the different ways that you've missed the plot so that you can extend grace and mercy to those who need it. Because in here, uh, in this passage in Matthew, Jesus looks at the Pharisees and said, if you would have understood what, what it meant to extend, or, let me just read it. That'll be easier. And then I won't misquote it. Yes, it says, if you had known what these words mean, quote, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, which is from Hosea 6, 6. Um, you would not have condemned the innocent. So it's, it's this kind of flipping everything on its head. And, and the thing that really strikes me about all of this is that Jesus is really focused on the healing and restoration aspect of things. About the mercy and the compassion and and the justice of things um, where, where we might take a, a different view of things. And so as, as we go to what I'll call the practical part of things, um, if we are to look at what it is to 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 have the fruit of the spirit in terms of goodness ripen within us. The question that I thought about um, was then what is required of us? How do we go about our lives? And again, compassion, justice, and mercy, and God's justice, not our justice, that requires discernment. Um, we are invited to recognize the grace of God, even in unfamiliar places and people. Um, this, this is one of the things that the book that I uh, am reading that goes along with the sermon series um, talked about. Uh, if you want to read Acts 11, uh, Barnabas is sent to a group of people, to the Gentiles, and Barnabas is a Jew. He shows up and he looks around and goes, oh, this is very different, very different than what I'm used to. But then he started looking for the grace of God and how God was at work. And he found he was able to identify God's grace in unfamiliar places and people. And then also, uh, I thought maybe that we're supposed to embody God's grace, embody God's uh, compassion 
and not be like the Pharisees where we go around pointing out where people aren't following the rules. And one of the other things that I've said to myself and others in the last couple months is that we are all wrong about something. So we need to check ourselves a little bit and be, be humble um, and, and ask God what we're wrong about. And then the last thing about this is that we can demonstrate our salvation by doing good. Um, there's in the, in the letters from Paul and, and Peter and, and all of those things that are after the gospels in the New Testament, it is very clear that we are not saved by our good works. We are saved for good works. That preposition is really important. So when we were talking earlier about how we transform or how, how we demonstrate our goodness, where, is, where does it come from? And we talked about the heart, how it comes from the heart and how us getting, um, getting Jesus heart, we demonstrate Jesus heart by doing good works. So the more that we are transformed, potentially, the more that we grow into the likeness of Christ, the more good works we may do. And that can take lots and lots of different forms. So one of the things that I think is interesting for me about this is that uh, my, my personality, uh, I can walk into a room and notice all of the things that are wrong. How many else, how, who else can do that? Anybody? <laughs> uh, yeah, not a good look, really. Um, because again, people don't like having things that are wrong pointed out. Um, and it's very subjective. And the funny, thing about all of this and what I think is God's sense of humor is that my job, the spiritual direction work that I do, the coaching, um, the training with discipleship leading retreats, my job is to find the good in people's lives and then encourage it. So to look and extend compassion and grace and understanding. Um, and at this point, I do that without without really thinking about it anymore. I look like Barnabas um, in Acts for how is God at work? Even if I'm unfamiliar with the situation, even if I'm unfamiliar with the people, my, I look for where God is at work and how God is in this. And I didn't realize that I had had this switch, like this pretty dramatic flip until I was preparing for the sermon. Oh, that's my job. But it's actually, it's filtered out into everything um, that I do. And so I want to end in some way with what some what if questions. So what if, as the church, we looked for God's grace or how God is at work in the world instead of listing all of the ways that we disagree with someone or a group? What if we focused on compassion and God's justice instead of rule enforcement? And what if we did good and then told people why we were doing it, that we were extending God's grace? I think that would transform the world a little bit.
So my challenge for you this week is to look for God's action or look for God's work in the world in places maybe that you haven't looked for it um, and see what God points out to you, kind of like hide and seek with the Holy Spirit. Hopefully you won't be startled. <laughs> like you might be jolted or surprised, but <laughs> but the I think anyway, at least in my life, the Holy Spirit loves to play this game. Like, oh, here, you know, here's where I am. Let me point this out to you because you asked. Um, and we can grow and learn in that. Absolutely. So let's pray again the prayer that's on the back of our bulletin this morning to end our sermon time. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen.